Uh, before I do anything else, can I thank you for that amazing gift that you made to me? Remember you had a collection a couple of weeks ago? It was a whopper. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Um, I'm also standing at the back, by the way. Um, a side issue, the thing that happened in Japan, I will move to the front maybe. The thing that happened in Jan, Japan struck me because what happened was tectonic plates were rubbing together. And of course scientists know that tectonic plates are going to rub together. And it may seem obvious to you, but it struck me as it never struck me before, that we're living in a world of impermanence. It seems to be built in. Tectonic plates are going to do that, so sometime it's going to happen under San Francisco again. But we build around us our little sort of castles of security and pretend that everything is going to be all right all the time, but we don't know when I might be struck down by a bus or somebody else hit by a sudden virus or tectonic plates might rub. We just never know, do we? And actually we're involved right now in one of those little moments of security. Um, you are, and I've been, I'm facing the front. I don't know why I'm facing the front most of the time because there's been no one there. Well, there have been some words on the wall, but you realise, don't you, that you're sitting facing the front in the same way that you do when you go to the cinema or when you go to the theatre. And you sit there because you're expecting to be entertained. You're expecting to receive something. And I find that very difficult today because to tell the truth, I might have missed God somewhere along the line, but he hasn't given me anything special on you to say. I haven't got anything to tickle your fancy with. So the problem is that you're going to be terribly disappointed with me when you go home. See, every now and then people say, we really look forward to hearing you preach, Dave. And I've got this horrible feeling that your, your expectations are going to be damned today. But perhaps it would be different if we weren't facing the front looking for some kind of excelsior performance. Because actually what is we're going to look at and think about ever so simply right now is the Word of God. And the thing about the Word of God is not that somebody tells and others listen, but that together we engage. Now then, if I speak words and God doesn't speak to you, it may be down to me. It may be down to you. But this is not a performance this morning. You understand. And the other thing about this kind of little security thing, sort of doing what we've always done, <laughs> is that, of course, standing at the back, all I could see were the backs of your heads. Um, and that's all any of you can see, unless you're right at the front when you can see nothing. <laughs> and we're a body, for goodness sake. We're a community. Hi, my name's Dave. What's your name? Can't remember. I'm over Can't, 50. Well, 
well, it's all right, it doesn't matter because I'm going to see the back of your head anyway. <laughs> you get the point, don't you? Um, how do we make this a bit more real? But for now, we've read the scriptures. And the subject for this morning, and this whole series of reconciliation has been put together by Helen. So, God bless Helen. She worked really hard at putting this together, you know. Um, and today, it's reconciliation is reaching across barriers to embrace the other. I want to mention three people. There's this guy, Zacchaeus, that we're familiar with from Sunday school days. Um, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm coming to your house for tea. Do you remember that one? <laughs> that we're familiar with from Sunday school days. So we're so familiar, it's sort of gone. Phew. That's just a really twee story about a little man who climbed up a tree. Actually, it's a guy who was hated by lots of people in Jericho. They despised the bloke because he worked for the Romans and he was a chief tax collector and he was a rich chief tax collector and he was siding with the Romans. Now Jericho had been uh, purchased um, from Augustus Caesar or one of the Caesars by, by whoever was the Herod around at that point and he had built a hippodrome there and aqueducts and, uh, and sort of all kinds of amazing things and Jericho which was in a very sort of agriculturally rich area, lots of water and so on, um, was a very rich place. And it was a great place to farm taxes. And Zacchaeus was there. And as soon as Jesus said, I'm coming to your house for tea, I'm coming to your house for tea, the people everywhere began to grumble. He's going to eat with sinners. That's what they thought of him. So in other words, they might have seen Zacchaeus up in the tree, but they will have scorned him, despised him, given him a f finger. Because that's what they thought of him. In actual fact, Jesus looked up, and you know the story, I'm coming to your house for tea. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for a, for a big feast. He was part of a pilgrim band. There were lots of people passing through Jericho at this time on their way to Jerusalem. And in the pilgrim band, the pilgrim bands had to stay places. Zacchaeus was up the tree looking out for Jesus. Jesus well, recognized him, heard somebody say, look at Zacchaeus up there. Here's his name, says Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay with you tonight. And my pilgrim Tonight we've got to Jericho, we've had a long day's journey, I'm going to push off towards the feast tomorrow, we're staying with you tonight. He was so happy. Now, I've got a theory about this guy, I, I haven't tested it on any real proper theologians, um, and we've got one or two rounds today, so feel free to yell out. I don't mind interaction, especially if it's correcting, you know. It's better to do it here in front of everybody than at the door afterwards, <laughs> frankly. At the door afterwards, it's criticism. If you do it here now, it's education <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> you see, so I've never, I've never checked this out, but it seems to me that Zacchaeus probably wasn't such a bad guy as people made out. Because 
he's going to give half of his possessions to the poor and he's a rich man and that is a lot of money but if I have defrauded anyone I will pay back four times which was keeping the Jewish law if you look in I think it's Exodus is it chapter 22 round about verse 1 ish it says that if anybody steals a sheep they they have to they have to repay four times but think about it if he has defrauded anyone he'll pay back four times the amount he can't have defrauded many people can he because otherwise he'd been begging in the streets tomorrow saying I haven't got two pennies to rub together so my perception of this man is that he wasn't quite as bad as people made out but he did have a job uh, which people really hated my other perception of this man is that he was really hungry for God but of course nobody amongst the Pharisees and, and that lot would have ever given him a second thought But Jesus did. Now when Jesus said to him, I'm coming to your house for tea, there was a collective gasp in the street all around him. Because he was going into the house of this rich farmer of taxes, working for a pagan empire, and as far as public opinion was concerned, defrauding his own people. Jesus reached, reached out across... Suppose all that was true, that he was defrauding. Jesus still reached out and said, I'm coming to your place, because this guy was looking out for him. Now then, wouldn't it be interesting if we had the guts and I'm not sure that we would have, if we turned round in little groups of two and three and s said honestly to one another who we thought would never ever, who we would never ever want to go to tea with. It might be me. <laughs> but what sort of person, what sort of character, what sort of lifestyle would a person have to have for you to say I will never be seen dead in that man's house now maybe you're so godly and wonderful that there's nobody you'd say that about but I can bet my bottom dollar that they're not in this place today And Jesus is willing to reach out to this man, this woman, this tramp, this drunkard, this whatever. This Muslim. This prostitute. Because reconciliation has begun with God and he's taken all the initiatives. A couple of weeks ago, Helen told us that at the heart of reconciliation is the cross. That's the measure of God's will to have men reconciled with him. And last week, Mackie reminded us that it's the Father's purpose and the Father's plan. Reconciliation is what God is all about. 
in his salvation plan. And we are caught up in that because he has reconciled us with himself through Jesus Christ by the blood of that cross. And he's called us to be ambassadors of that reconciliation, isn't he? And that means reaching out of our comfort zones, through the bubbles of our security, out to the people when we come across them, who actually turn our stomach over when it comes to our prejudices. And we may see them casting a wistful eye toward Jesus. And God wants us to be his hand. Because it's Jesus who took the initiative then. Now that person may be where you work. I've worked for the supplementary benefits on one occasion for a, a number of years and there was one character, a supporter of Crystal Palace, which was not his worst characteristic at all. <laughs> this, this man was just filthy in here. He was loathsome in almost everything he sought. And you, could, you could see him in Lord of the Rings. It was that sort of worm tongue. You know, worm tongue, that guy. So just, ugh. Everything about this man was loathsome. And he was so vain about it all, too. I found it very difficult to reach across the table to that man. There was a fellow down in Somerset who used to come to the church and he would slag us all off heartily after every service. But he still came along to the church. It was very hard to reach out of my security and into his world to clasp his hand. But somebody is casting a wistful look at Jesus. The price is paid. The call is out there. The good news is proclaimed. The hand is at the end of your arm. When you meet that person. What about the woman at the well? The woman at the well was a harder case than Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I suspect, had some goodness in his heart somewhere. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, well, it's, you've all heard it said that there she was going to the well at midday uh, because even her own community considered her a bit of a tart, which she was, let's use the language, put it in perspective, five husbands, the guy she was living with now was not a husband. On top of that, she was a Samaritan woman. She went down to the well at the time of day when none of the other women went down. Presumably to avoid all the taunts and the, and the gossip and the stuff that some women might do. And there's Jesus. He's just finished a 30-mile tr trek 15 mile trek, heat of the day, worn out. Please give me a drink. Now, Jesus, according to all common 
understanding, all decent political Jews would never talk to this woman. Number one, she's on her own. Number two, she's Samaritan, just not done. But to ask her for a drink, do you know that Jews wouldn't even lift a cup to their lips that belonged to a Samaritan? Uh, this prejudice and this sort of Jew-Samaritan thing had been going on since Babylon, the days of the Babylonian exile, when all the people from the northern Israel state were taken away into exile and then the Babylonians put in some outsiders who then took up some of the forms and customs of the people who were left there and, and perverted the religion that was there and, and, changed the, uh, and changed the scriptures and would only accept the first five books of the Bible and did all kinds of things and made themselves loathsome to the pure Jews. So this was an ancient animosity. And Jesus has asked this woman if she would mind drawing some water and giving him a scoop in her own scoop. Well, there's God taking an initiative, isn't it? Because she didn't even look wistfully at Jesus. Jesus took an initiative. Now then, where in your world, in your office, in your factory, your school, your hospital, your street, does that woman live? That woman who's had five husbands, Elizabeth Taylor. The one she's with now isn't her husband. Whereabouts in your world is that woman? And would you be willing, if God prompted you, to walk across the room and engage her in conversation when all the other women are avoiding her? Because God is passionate about reconciliation. He's not willing that any should perish. So you've got the tax collector, you've got the woman at the well, and you've got Cornelius, of course. Well, what I say, of course, is of course to me, because I thought of it first. <laughs> but you've got Cornelius, a centurion. And Peter happens to be in Joppa, which is 30 miles away from Caesarea, and, and this uh, sort of Jew-friendly centurion, a Roman officer, who's been engaged in stamping Roman rule on the Holy Land, who has overseen, no doubt, a number of crucifixions along the way, because crucifixion was a fairly common way of uh, Romans punishing thieves and all kinds of people. Who knows? Is it fanciful 
to wonder whether he's the centurion that was at the cross in Jerusalem on duty that day? Perhaps it's just fancy. But you can see why a Jew might hate this centurion. He belongs to a state that worships idols and wishes to impose its own rule and law on the God's own people. He's got blood on his hands. And this man has built a synagogue for the Jews in the area. He's quite a rich man, we're told. Centurions could become quite rich. So he had befriended the local people, but you can understand the prejudice there would be. God had to intervene with Peter, didn't he? God sent an angel to Cornelius to say, send to Joppa and collect one Simon called Peter. But before these messengers came, two loyal servants and one trusted soldier arrived, God had to get hold of Peter and say, now look, up until now, you've had a theory about clean and unclean. I am about to rubbish that theory. I'm about to transform that theory. I'm raised, I'm raised from the dead. That old legal formula is dealt with. It's finished. Clean, unclean, So, tablecloth comes out of the sky, all these unclean animals, Leviticus, somewhere or another, there's about 30, 40 verses of unclean stuff that you don't eat. And this tablecloth is filled with unclean stuff. And we're told that Peter went up onto the roof and he was hungry, he was looking forward for his meal to be prepared, falls into a trance, and here's all this grub laid on a cloth for him, and he can't have any of it because all of it is unclean. Sorry, Lord, I can't eat that. Never eaten anything unclean in my life. Three times this happens. And God says, what I have declared clean, don't you declare unclean. And then there's the knock at the door. And two servants come. And a Roman soldier. And it clicks. clicks. So he invites them into the house. I wonder what his Jewish hosts thought of that, eh? <laughs> He's invited a Roman soldier in. Uh, what do you eat? Do you eat spaghetti? <laughs> we, we've got a Roman chef here. <laughs> so God actually had to take Peter aside and say, look, you have these prejudices which you have with a clear conscience because it's been part of the culture you were brought up in. I'm not blaming you for having these, these prejudices. It's what you've been taught since you were a child. But I want you to know that the prejudices which you have have now been broken through by my death on the cross and my resurrection. My own arms are open wide to the sinners of this world, the Samaritans of this world, and the centurions of this world. Now then, go along there and go into his house. And Peter goes in, and it doesn't sound very tactful to me, but Cornelius doesn't seem to have balked at it. I see that God has declared that nothing is common or unclean, and so I can come into your house now. <laughs> but at least he's got the message. 
well. Lord God, get that same message into here and into us. And it will surprise us, I think, the people that God then sets across our path. I would love to hear you come back in a week's time and say, do you know, I walked into the office and with new eyes, I saw somebody that, well, I've never really had anything to do with them, I won't go into it, but um, I suddenly saw something there I hadn't seen before and I thought, I must go up and speak with this person. And do you know, during the course of the week, this most amazing kind of interaction developed. I just feel that God is in on this and I would never have thought it. Uh, Or, do you know, some guy came up to me um, in the staff room and he's a bit of a pain but he said, um, fancy a drink at lunchtime? I'd normally have said no. No way, Jose. I wouldn't have said that. I said, look, I've got to get some marking done. Do you mind? But I thought, no, I'll go this time. Who knows what's lying around your corner? You ambassadors of reconciliation. You bearers of the mark of Jesus Christ. Filled with his spirit, overwhelmed with his love, we hope, going out there and suddenly discovering that God's at work out there more than you saw him at work in here on Sunday morning. Because that's where the majority of the people are that he's seeking. He's found you lot. Hallelujah. But that's where the people are he's looking for. Whoa! So what's... Reconciliation is reaching across barriers to embrace the other. Amen. I've finished.